Praise Lord, everybody. Oh, y'all know this by now. Praise Lord, everybody. It's such a blessing to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Ryan. I also go by Rev, and usually I am leading with you all from up there. But this morning, um, I have been given another assignment, and I am blessed to be down here to share with share the word of God with you all this morning, if that's okay. Is that cool with y'all? Is that cool with y'all? Um First and foremost, as always, I have to give honor to whom honor is due, to Pastor and First Lady Rachel, um, and to Pastor um, KT and Lady Thomas. I appreciate the opportunity that you've given me uh, to get up here and, and share the word of God. Um, family, uh, we have adopted our own um, rendition of the Advent series titled Silent Night. Um, KT kicked us off in week one in which he helped us understand what it looks like to have hope in the rebuilding of our altars. Um, he gave us some incredible context on who Elijah was, what was happening in Elijah's life. Um, Elijah, the prophet who proved the prophets of Baal to be wrong in their worship, and Elijah with God experiences this amazing miracle of fire um, down on a water-soaked altar. Um, and he defeats all of these false prophets. And then Rachel picked us up in the week after that, last week, um, in the story where, um, and it was, a, it was a good word, it was fire. Um, she picked up in the story after that, in which we find Elijah who flees into the wilderness um, in despair, deeply afraid and in sorrow, in such despair that he prays for God to take his life. And how God feeds him with water and with bread in the midst of a famine and how we can find peace and rest when we allow God to shift our perspectives. And in this rest, God renews Elijah's purpose. Elijah was anxious and depressed, but with a renewed purpose, God sends him on a 400-mile journey to a mountain and a cave. And that is where we pick up the story this morning. In 1 Kings chapter 19, starting in verse number 8, Going down to verse 18, just a couple verses in your hearing this morning. Again, um, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. If you have your Bible apps, as Pastor would say, if you can fight off the temptation to stay off of Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and or Twitter, and now TikTok, turn there. But if not, it's going to be on the screen. And it reads, and he arose, he being Elijah, and ate and drank, and went in that strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very jealous for the Lord, he responds, God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophet with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. Hmm. But the Lord was not in the wind. Interesting. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. So one would assume that he was inside of the cave. And he comes out to the entrance of the cave. And behold, there a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophet with the sword. And I only, even I, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, go, return your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, forgive me already because I'm about to mispronounce these words, these names. But when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. Jehu, the son of Nimshai, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word that it is still applicable to us many, 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 many years later. God, we're asking that you will open our, our ears to hear your voice and that we will be confident that it is the faithful God speaking to us. And God, I personally pray that you would hide me behind your cross, that they would experience you with every word that you have given me. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If you haven't, fi haven't figured it out yet, I am a young black preacher, so I'm going to need you all to talk back to me in here. Amen. 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 Okay, so I just wanted to test the crowd to make sure we were all on the same page because I'm going to be real honest with you. I'm feeling a little, a little Baptist this morning. I'm feeling a little Pentecostal this morning. So, so uh, 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 we're just going to jump right in if that's okay. Um, so this week, it is my intent during Advent season to talk about joy. Whenever there is a word or phrase given to me, it is uh, important that I define the word to make sure that we are all on the same page as we go forward. Amen. So while researching, I found some interesting information that I would like to share with you all if that's cool. So, of course, when I went to Google um, for joy, the first thing that popped up was dictionary.com. See, dictionary.com says that joy is the emotion of great delight caused by um, or happiness caused by something exceptionally good, exceptionally satisfying, keen pleasure, or elation. So, of course, after that, I had to go over to Merriam-Webster's Dictionary because they know everything. Um, and they say that joy is a great feeling of pleasure or happiness that comes from success, good fortune, or a sense of well-being. But there was one definition while studying that stood out to me. And it's the one that I really want us to land on for this morning. And it's a pretty fairly lengthy definition, but if you stick with me to the end of it, there's some nuggets you can glean from as we go. Um, but it's from Dr. Pamela Epstein. Dr. Pamela Epstein from Fuller Seminary, spelled E-B-S-T-Y-N-E. She puts joy like this. She says, the fact that joy is understudied is surprising. It is a core part of being human. We have all experienced joy both the overwhelming and animating experiences of joy that may surprise us and overtake us, and the calm and enduring joy which sustains us. Generally, we want more of it. We've all yelped or shouted or smiled in delight upon hearing good news about our health or the health of a loved one, finding a lost or precious object or accomplishing something meaningful. 
These experiences bring life meaning and continue to motivate and direct us. That said, there have been no clear theories or research to explain what prompts this kind of deep joy, nor have we had the framework from distinguishing joy from things like delight, from fun, from happiness or thrill. Most people associate joy with goodness, good experiences, good relationships, or good objects. But the question is, what qualifies as this kind of good that produces life-altering enduring joy. Joy, she goes on, is really complex. And this work helped her realize how joy and sorrow are deeply connected. Both are a response to those things that matter most. Joy is our delight when we experience, celebrate, and anticipate the manifestations of those things that we hold with the most significance, like birth, or graduation. Sorrow, though, is our response to the violation, destruction, or deterioration of such sacred things. However, this complexity also informs that we can experience joy and sorrow at the same time, and how joy, true joy, is tied to our potential to grow as an individual, relate to others, and give to others. That's why you get that rush when you do a good thing and how our values can endure in the face of loss and suffering. The trick is to stay connected to those things that deeply matter in the face of adversity and loss. I'm gonna read uh, this part again. This is the part I want us to stick with. Joy is our delight when we experience, celebrate, and anticipate the manifestations of those things we hold with the most significance. Sorrow is our response to the violation, destruction, or deterioration of such sacred things. Again, the trick is to stay connected to those things that matter deeply in the face of adversity. But this morning, Thursday, I want to ask you the question, what happens when you feel you've become disconnected? Y'all, a few years ago while finishing my master's, I was, in a, I was having a very dif- difficult time. I was overworked, I was exhausted, I was working uh, full-time for playing local schools as a paraprofessional, Um, I was a part-time freelance lifestyle photographer, I was in year two, I believe, of being a worship, the worship guy here, Um, I had just had to leave working part-time for a local after-school program because I was finishing my master's and needed to do internship hours. And I remember I was struggling at this agency. I was struggling with my supervisor. I was struggling to believe that I was good enough and that I still had purpose. And I remember um, sending a very unhinged, panicky, depressing email to my professor because I needed relief, right? I needed so much relief because I was sitting in sorrow, because what mattered to me was no longer God. It was to achieve this degree and to prove to my professors and my supervisors that I was good enough. So my professor, she calls me, because that's how unhinged this email was. (laughs) So she calls me. And she says, Rev, how do you know you're doing what God wants you to do, especially when you're in a difficult season? She says, how do you find joy? And I remember going off on this rant about how the devil is always busy. 
and how it's difficult to see when I have all these obstacles in my way. When I'm focused on the wrong thing, focused on what I think God is doing, and she, cut, she cuts me off and she says, well, have you listened? Or have you allowed him the space to speak? Are you focused on the wrong thing? In our text today, we are re- reconnected with the prophet Elijah. He is in a difficult situation because he is running for his life, because the queen herself is out to kill him. I would say within the past month or so, this is the second time such a decree has went out for Elijah's life. So at the beginning of this chapter, we see Elijah is praying for God to take his life because he is is experiencing deep anguish and sorrow. God feeds him, gives, gives him rest, and sends him on a journey to a mountain and a cave. Now, this, uh, the significance of this mountain struck me as interesting. Just a few verses prior, uh, Elijah references not being any better than his ancestors. First Lady mentioned it last week, one of his ancestors being Moses. Some scholars believe that this is the same mountain and cave was the same place where Moses encountered God back in Exodus. So God sends Elijah to the very place where Moses receives the direction to the covenant or the promise that Elijah was so desperately trying to defend. And God designed this moment or this mountain, if you will, for Elijah to also have an encounter with God. And I know Elijah, being a prophet, had to know this location very well. And for his protection, God puts him in the cave or the cleft of the rock, if you will. Now, because he is running for his life, a high place like a mountain would serve as protection and advantage, right? One would assume that this mountain is meant to give him perspective. But the thing is, all this goes down at night. And one can infer that based on the text that even the position where Elijah was in within the cave, he was in one where he could not see what was happening outside of it. And the Lord passed by. And a great wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks into pieces. And after the wind, an earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. But guess what, y'all? God was not in any of it. I found it interesting, y'all, that God used three things that he had been in before, but he was not in this time, especially the fire. God literally just used fire as a sign of his presence back at the other mountain. So I asked God what was different about this time. But see, we notice that Elijah does not respond to any of these things. Elijah sits silent in the dark, waiting. I wonder what Elijah was fixated on, because what we fixate on is what holds the most significance to us. What we fixate on holds the most significance to us. Family, deep sorrow and anguish can make us look for God in all the wrong places. Deep sorrow and anguish can cause us to mistake what God is doing in error. God brought his presence before Elijah to show him where he was not in a particular moment. The Lord was not in the wind, he was not in the earthquake, and he was not in the fire. Like many others, Elijah probably only looked for God in dramatic manifestations. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Certainly, God sometimes does do appear in such ways, but he is often in less dramatic surroundings. 
sometimes we look for God in all the wrong places because we so so deeply desire an experience with God that we will try to create our own experiences by looking for him in places or situations or people where he is not. And it was his intent to put us in the cave to be still, but because we desire out of this cave, out of this darkness, out of this night, we so deeply desire joy, we find ourselves going after things that God is not in. This relationship, this job, this activity, that group of people, that person, that place, that thing, you find yourself jumping from church to church, friendship to friendship, job to job, relationship to relationship. Am I talking to somebody in here talking to my huddle and they couldn't help me? I talked to my mom and my mom couldn't help me. I talked to my best friend and they couldn't help me. Desperately looking for God, but for some reason you find yourself in more hurt and confusion. Desiring God to move on your situation, but yet you feel like you're stuck in darkness. God, why aren't you moving in my favor? God, what are you doing? And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves hurting because we expected God to be in something that he is not. And then we'll turn around and blame him for it when he does anything but bless us. What are you fixated on? God knew what the depressed and discouraged Elijah needed. He needed a personal encounter with God. There was nothing fundamentally wrong with Elijah's theology, but at the same time, there was something lacking in his experience. That still small voice in the silent night. Imagine what it was like to experience God's presence fall like fire and then to be put into a dark cave. Elijah was waiting for God's voice, fixated on God's voice. This same lesson has to be learned over and over by us all. Let us repeat it, not by might nor by my power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It is to be lamented that most people tend to cling to the fatal error of only looking for displays of God's power in one way or another. Family, I come to tell us all this morning that our experience with God has to look different than it has before. Sometimes God has to feed you, take you up to a mountain and put you inside of a cave. I'm sure that was uncomfortable and different for Elijah. And I know it was not easy. Imagine if Elijah would have only clung to the ways he experienced God on the last mountain. Last time Elijah prayed, God, God felt, brought his presence down like fire from heaven. Then next time we see him praying, he's asking for God to take his life. Imagine if God answered him in the same way. But God had to orchestrate a different kind of experience that required Elijah to fixate on God's voice more than he could fixate on what he could see in front of him. It reminds me of when you're driving in the car and you're listening to that new Maverick City and you're bumping it real loud. And then Siri start giving you directions that ain't making sense. So the first thing you do is you turn down the music because for some reason we believe that if we turn down the music, it can help us see better. But in, actual, but in actuality, we just stim- overstimulate it and we can better control what we hear better than we can control what we see. Don't push me because I'm a preach. Remember, joy is our delight when we experience, celebrate, and anticipate the manifestations of the things that hold with that we hold with the most significance. So the next question is, can you delight in what you hear in the darkness? Can you delight in what you hear in the darkness? God dropped this in my spirit, y'all, while preparing um, this week. 
um, when people's senses are disoriented, it heightens the senses that are left, right? There's science to this. So here we find Elijah in the dark or an uncomfortable place trying to discern what God is doing. Here is Elijah in a position where he cannot fully see what's happening in front of him. Again, I'm okay with being wrong, but I believe that Elijah would have been distracted if he fixated on the wind and the earthquake and if he fixated on the fire. I am certain that it, when the rocks fell, they would have confused him. And when the earth began to shake, he would have been off balance and the fire would have burned him. And that sounds like me when I'm fixated on everything but God, when I'm fixated on his hand and not his face or his voice, I find myself confused, off balanced and burned, confused about why they left me off balance because I depended on them and burned because they said some hurtful things to me on their way out, confused by the lies I've been told off balance because I started to believe them and burned because no one I trusted told me otherwise. But the Lord laid something on my heart this morning for Third Street that sometimes he has to disorder what we can see, disorient our sight so we can hear his voice a lot better. See, you thought the darkness was for your demise. See, you thought the cave was meant to kill you. I feel like preaching in here, KT. See, you thought the darkness was for your demise. You thought the, the cave was meant to kill you. You thought the cleft of the rock was where you would be for forever. But like Moses, the cave was for your protection because your brain can't even fathom, can't even understand what God is doing behind the scenes. See, what you see is people leaving you, but what you don't realize is God is protecting you from their hearts. See, what you see is folk on your job getting on your nerve and you getting ready to quit but what you don't realize is God is protecting you from an organization that's bound to fail way over in the old in the new testament Paul says to his second letter to Corinth he coined this phrase that we have made cliche but I believe it's something that we need to live by that we walk by faith and not by sight sometimes you got to shift your perspective to be in a posture of listening because it's always better to trust what he said over what you see. Elijah being a prophet has seen wind in times before. He has felt earthquakes in times before. And he's definitely seen fire in times before. But more importantly, in his office as a prophet, he had to know what God sounded like. But he waited until he was without a doubt that it was God who was speaking. I'm going to say that again. Elijah, being a prophet, had seen the winds before. He had felt earthquakes before. And he had seen fire before. But being a prophet, he had to know the voice of God. And I just want to pause there just for a moment to speak to the one who is asking the question, well, God, how long am I out until I'm out? I've been trying to listen, and I truly believe that he has not said anything. But let this sermon prove as prophecy to you this morning that very soon God will be speaking if he is not speaking already. I strongly believe that some of us are currently in our own mountaintops at our horrors on the top of a mountain sitting in a cave, plus 
placed in the cleft of the rock, um, sitting in what we believe is utter darkness and failure. I believe just like he did with Moses and just like he did with Elijah, that he's putting together an opportunity, that he is organizing a moment and encounter that when it happens, Third Street, there will be no doubt that it was God, that through the rebuilding of our altars and the worship and the sacrifice that we will do there and the rest and renewal that we can have in him, that there will be no way we can mistake that it was God who spoke directly to us. My grandmother says that I don't believe that God brought us this far to leave us. The word also says, be not weary in well-doing for in due season you'll reap if you faint not. You got to be steadfast and unmovable because what you need is on the way. Because they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. And the old saints sometimes say he might not come when you want him to, but he's going to come right on time. For weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Look at your neighbor and say good morning. Elijah, after his restoration, was brought back. After his restoration, he was brought back to what mattered most to him. It was God's voice. Because guess what, y'all? Watch this. This is the part that blessed me the most. There's joy in the cave. There's joy in the darkness. Because even when it's dark, God can still speak. Even in the darkness... God was still there. And that's not a new thing because we read, we can read way back in Genesis before he even called it night and day, there was darkness and God's presence hovered there and God spoke and this formless void entity was filled, filled with life and filled with purpose. And I'm good God almighty. Don't push me because I feel like, I feel like running. I feel like running. I'm sure there was joy in the garden, not because it looked pretty and not because it smelled good, because God's presence was there and his voice was there. Because where God is, God speaks for in his presence is fullness of joy, according to Psalm 16. And Psalm 16, for my Bible bluffs, was not written by David in a cave, but it was written in a place of despair. And he settles this psalm in joy. What's keeping you from hearing the still small voice? Remember, we experience joy when there is the manifestations of the things that we hold with the most significance. Again, I find it interesting that after Elijah has vented about his situation, God gives him another assignment. It can seem as though God completely overlooked his situation and just gives him something else to do. It almost seems like God overlooked what Elijah was even saying. But God got right down to the root of what Elijah was most concerned about. Elijah's like, God, hey, God, I, I'm alone. Has anybody ever felt like that before? Amen. I'm alone and there's no one on my side. I'm the last prophet right now, God, and they want to kill me. And not only am I scared, but I'm scared that as a result of my death, that this is where the work of the Lord ends. The Israelites are out here wilding. They're not listening to nothing you say. They tore down your altars and they listen to false prophets. God, this feels like the end. Let's, let's look at exactly what he says. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts. Elijah protests to God. I have faithfully served you and now look at the danger that I am in. Has anybody ever felt like that? Yeah. To Elijah, 
and many servants since then, it seemed unfair that a faithful servant of God should be made to suffer. I alone am left. This was not entirely accurate, but it reflected how Elijah felt. Even back at his confrontation, that big victory we saw at Mount Carmel that KT preached about, he even says there, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord. Y'all, discouraging times can make God's servants feel more isolated and alone than they really are. But when he speaks, you'll experience what he said. When God speaks, you'll experience what he said. See, the dangers of casual reading could leave us feeling empty, like God didn't really meet Elijah's need. That Elijah was vulnerable with God and God just gave him more to do. But God's response in this moment is the catalyst to some crazy stuff that takes place that falls right within God's plan. Elijah's core complaint to God was that he was alone. Elijah's concern also wasn't even on himself. He was also concerned that the endless idolatry that was happening in the earth. But God gives him reassurance with his answer. He says, go. That's a sermon within itself. But he says, go. Return on your way and anoint Hazael as king over Syria. God gave Elijah something to do because he needed Elijah to focus on what he was saying instead of what was happening in front of him. He needed a task to focus on so he could avoid excessive introspection. He needed to stop looking at himself and his own admittedly difficult circumstances and get on with what God had for him to do. And side note, this is another sermon for another time. Syria was an enemy to Israel. So God tells him to go anoint his enemy. And then he says, you shall anoint the next king of Israel. God had more work for Elijah to do. He would demonstrate God's choice of Jehu to be king and succeed. Guess what? The corrupt Ahab and Jezebel that he's running from. So because God gave him a word and he leaned on it, he no longer had to be afraid of the people that was trying to kill him. Y'all miss your time to shout. If God sent him, he does not have to be afraid of Jezebel anymore because God said it. And he says, you shall anoint Elisha. Let's make sure we overemphasize the pronunciation there. Elijah is who we are talking about. This is Elisha. Sha. You shall anoint Elisha as prophet in your place. God gave, God gave him something else. Gave something else to the discouraged and depressed prophet beyond just work to do. He also gives him a friend. A successor. Elijah needed a friend. Again, his core complaint was that he was alone. But God let him know that there was a man ready to learn from him. And that would be his disciple and his companion. Elijah also needed help and hope. And since Elisha will be raised as his successor to Elijah's uh, prophetic office, Elijah then knew that his work would not end even when he died. God got right down to the root. Yet, while all that vile idolatry was spreading in Israel, the worship of the true God was being retained by 7,000 faithful souls. 
So Elijah did not even realize that there was anybody serving God outside of himself. How are these people one to Jehovah? Certainly it was not by his great victory at Mount Carmel. For these folks were loyal to God even before that because the still small voice was doing what Elijah could never do. It's not his job. One commentator put it like this. I love the language he used. He says, because, of, because the success of Mount Carmel melted like the morning mist, he thought that his career had been a failure all along. That he had brought no one to reverence Jehovah. He, that he brought no one to reverence God. But he was reading, watch this, with his eyes of unbelief. And his imagination, what he was seeing in front of him, was leading him rather than the facts of the case. Y'all missed it. Here are 7,000 people scattered up and down the country whom God has blessed as a result of Elijah's testimony. Because if he had not blessed the big things as Elijah had desired, it was the little things that prospered. It was Elijah's daily conduct rather than his miracles that impressed these 7,000 to hold fast to their integrity. These 7,000 faithful souls were faithful to God in a country that was following Baal because Elijah stayed connected to the thing that held the most significance to him. After this, Elijah sets off to do what God asked of him because he knew, like it says in Isaiah, that God cannot send out a word and it returned to him void or empty. See, family... It's not often that we anticipate the still small voice. It's not frequent that we wait for the soft whisper of God. We want the big wind. We want the earthquake. And we want the fire. We're so set on what we see and not what we can hear. And it causes us to miss out on the blessing, to miss out on our joy. And again, I find it interesting that God used three forms that he's often in in the Old Testament, but he was not in this time. And I believe the spirit of the Lord is saying to us that it's time for us to listen for God in a new way, in a way that you might not be expecting it. Because we, when we start looking for God, looking for our joy and what we think God is doing, and he says, no, I need you to stop. Stop looking and listen for me. Because if you know what God is saying, you will always be a part of what God is doing. If you know what God said, you will always be a part of what he's doing. James, in the first, first chapter of his book, he said, count it all joy when stuff like this happens. Because when these things happen, it produces steadfastness. People who aren't going to move when it gets dark outside. People who are going to sit still when it gets dark. Because if you wait just a little while, God's going to give you everything you need. My grandma said trouble don't last always. So remember my story about my difficulties. And is it cool if I prophesy and then I'm going to sit down? Not just prophesy, but testify. And then I'm going to sit down and we're going to go home. So remember I was talking about that supervisor and that difficult situation. Well, y'all, that supervisor failed me. She failed me. Not only did she fail me, but she asked me to not return to the agency. It was that messed up, y'all. 
That's why I sent that unhinged email. Because it was, she was tripping. But she fired me, listen to this, she fired me on a Wednesday. The second half of the semester started on a Monday. So I had no time, no placement to finish my internship. No place or no time to call, interview, and get selected for a new one. I had to quit my part-time job at Tikva to even go do these hours to begin with. And I sunk into this depression. I sunk into this darkness. This resulted in terrible habits, outbursts, and being forced on sabbatical by people who cared about me because I was not okay. I wasn't okay because what I saw in front of me completely distracted me from what God had said. I truly believe that I was a failure, but I was reminded of something God said to me. About three years prior to that, I was living with David and Holly. Corbin was about one or two years old. It was before Maya was even born. And y'all, what I'm about to talk about happened before I even got into grad school. Because I applied to grad school on a whim. I was sitting on the couch one day and I was like, mm, I'm going to apply. <laughs> and I got denied. I got denied. But a month after my denial letter, letter I get a phone call at 10 p.m. I was still working at Tifa, Maquita, excuse me. I was on the phone trying to figure out what this person was doing while these kids was running around. And I get home. I'm going to tell the truth. Tell the truth. Shame the devil. So this professor, this doctor, she calls me and she's like, hey, I need to, I need to speak with, with Ryan. I'm like, hey, I'm at work. Can I call you back? So we get, I get home. I don't even get into the house. I call this lady, call her back at 10 p.m., sitting in David and Holly's driveway in the middle of the night, in the middle of the night. And she said, hi, Ryan. I know you don't know me very well, but I'm the chairwoman of the counseling department. And while processing your application, I noticed we sent you a denial, a denial letter. But as I sat here, as I sat here processing your application, I heard the audible voice of God say that you need to be in our program. So I'm using my position to be obedient to the Lord. And I'm vetoing everyone else's decision. It was December. She said, you can start as early as January. And I could not rest until I told you myself. So God had to remind me of what he said. So I, I was preparing to go into my remediation meeting with this professor because I did technically fail. The woman who made the phone call, still the chairwoman of the counseling department, sat down in front of me and she said, if God brought you here, God's going to get you out. And the, for those of you who know, Hallelujah. I found a different internship. Glory. I got my master's. Even after being denied and fired. Even when I was sitting in a dark cave. Because when God speaks, when God reminds us of what he says, our entire situations have to respond to the voice of God. Family, God is creating some testimonies in here. God is preparing some experiences, but we have to sit still and listen. What silent night are you sitting in? 
What situation are you looking for God? And he simply just wants you to sit still and listen to him. What or in what ways do you need to be reminded of what God said? I'll sit down with this. Dr. Pamela, if for some reason you happen to get this from my friends over at Fuller Seminary. Dr. Pamela, I got a new definition for you. Joy is our response when we experience, celebrate, and, and anticipate the manifestations of what God said in times of hardship and in times of difficulty. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can listen for your voice in the darkness. Father, we thank you that you are yet speaking, that we can trust your word, because your word says in Elijah, that you, your word says in Isaiah, that you can't send out a word and it returns you void or empty. So God, we thank you for speaking. Father, we thank you in advance for speaking. God, bring us back to the place of listening. Bring us back to the place of responding to you. God, we seek your voice. We seek your voice. Because sometimes what you're doing looks dim. Sometimes what you're doing looks scary but we can find joy in leaning on what you said. So, Father, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.